Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, everybody. It's a, a good day, a good day, in spite of uh, some things that we ha have to deal with today because we have a funeral tonight, and this is the second one of our founding members that have passed away recently. Paula's mother, Rosemary Schaefer, will be, we'll have her service here this evening. They're going to have about an hour visitation at 5. Service will be at 6, and we'll be done by 7. But um, for those of you who don't know who she is, uh, Rose was the wife of a notorious cop who gave tickets to everybody in Saudi County at one time or another. Bill Schaefer, was, that was his job. He, he was the traffic control guy and, and, uh, for many, many years, and they helped start this church. The text that we have to deal with this morning is from the ninth chapter, of the book of Acts, and if you've got means of dealing with that, and you need to know a little bit about what we're getting into. The book of Acts was written by Luke. Luke was a fellow traveler with the Apostle Paul. He was a doctor by profession, and so he, he really was there to look after Paul, and he probably was his secretary as well. He was a writer. And I said, if you want to know a fancy word for a secretary, in the theological realm, we call him an emanuensis. So if you want to go and impress somebody that you learned something today, why well, you can say that uh, Luke was probably Paul's emanuensis, which is a fancy word for secretary. But in this, in, as Luke was writing this, one of the things he was doing was trying to help solve a problem in the early church. Churches have had problems since day one. And, and the problem was, how could the apostle Paul, as we call him today, be, meet the qualifications of being an apostle? Because when you, if you were to read the first chapter of the book of Acts, and starting at about verse 21, they were trying to select someone to replace Judas, who had hung himself and was one of the original twelve. And so the qualifications for an apostle were spelled out there. It reads this way. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So he, it had to be someone who had been with Jesus for three years. He says, and that's beginning from, from John the uh, baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. So he had been with Jesus for three years, beginning at, when John baptized Jesus, until the time Jesus ascended into heaven. And he had to be a witness of the resurrected Lord. 
Now, these were the three qualifications if you were going to call yourself an apostle, one of the twelve. And there's a lot of discussion among scholars, and it'll never be resolved. I don't think it's even important, but they have to have something to fuss about. Was the, the two men that they were selecting there in the first chapter of Acts, were they legitimate successors to Judas? Or was it because they sele- the, the, the church selected them? Or should you wait and was, the, was Saul of Tarsus the one that should be added because God did that himself? Now, I, I lean toward the latter, but I don't think it matters. I don't, that, this is not something worth fussing about. So we have this guy, the Apostle Paul, that we know him. But then he was known as Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus was the capital city of the province of Cilicia. I don't expect you to remember that, but you do remember that, that he was from the city of Tarsus. And so he was simply referred to in the early church for a long time as Saul of Tarsus. It's interesting in the book of Acts, later on while he was on one of his missionary tours, he was continued to be called Saul. But while he was there, he ran into a guy who was a Roman uh, politician, and his name uh, was Sergius Paulus. And from the time Saul of Tarsus met Sergius Paulus, from that time on, he became known as the Apostle Paul. So there's something that happened there where he adopted that name Paul. Actually, the name was probably given to him by Sergius Paulus because of his size. Now, you wonder about that because the word Paulus simply means little man. And it's assumed by most scholars that Paul was indeed a little guy. He probably suffered from a little man syndrome. Little guys are always trying to prove that they are something bigger than they really are. And you, you've witnessed that. And, uh, and yeah, I, I suffered from it at, uh, at one time, but I don't want you to dwell on that. Let's move on. Because little guys have a tendency to overproduce or to overdo whatever they're doing. And there isn't any question but what Saul of Tarsus was one of those guys. If you read his account of himself in the opening chapter of the book of Galatians, the women just studied this a few weeks ago, he describes himself as a very ambitious and successful young man. He came from probably a well-to-do family in in the city of Tarsus. As a young guy, he was sent then to Jerusalem to study unto the, the best-known teacher in the city or in Judaism, a fellow by the name of Gamaliel. And during his studies there, he, he would have done comparable to probably a doctor's degree in, in uh, Old Testament and, and history. Most of those who studied like that were required to memorize at least the first five books of the Bible. 
they were very competent in using their Bible, which was just for them, the Old Testament at that, at that time. We know that he was very ambitious, and we know that he was successful. He probably was the head over the Jewish police force under the high priest or, and the Sanhedrin. Because when he writes about himself in the opening chapter here of the book of Galatians, he even talks about how successful he is. He put it this way. He said, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was, listen to this now, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So he was very, he was, he was well-educated. He came from a wealthy family. He was extremely ambitious and successful in his ambition. He was that kind of a person. He set out to destroy the early church. Now, here's the way that begins in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. It reads, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he found any there who belonged to the way. Now, we stop there just for a second. Why are the followers of Jesus called the way, followers of the way? The Old Testament talks about the way of the Lord and so on and so forth. But I doubt if that's what it's about. I suspect it's about when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except by me. I suspect that it was that reference to Jesus referring to himself as the way. Now, the way means the highway. That's what a highway was, where we get our word highway. Elevated streets, were, uh, roads were called highways. And, um, and we still have that. We still use that term today. So, he's, and, and now listen to how aggressive he was in trying to persecute the church. He said, whether men or women... He might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now remember, he's the same guy that was standing there. It didn't bother him to see people stoned to death. If it would help him accomplish his ambition of destroying the church, that was his ambition, that was his goal, Anything that would help do that. And so when Stephen was stoned to death, it says they stripped him of all of his clothing and laid it at the foot of a young man named Saul of Tarsus. He was giving his approval of capital punishment for anybody who wasn't faithful to the Old Testament Judaistic concept. Now, so we know that there probably isn't anybody in the Bible that have been psychoanalyzed any more, with the exception of Jesus, any more than the Apostle Paul. They've studied him. They've tried to figure out what made him tick. Because 
He was, he was hard-hearted. He was cold-hearted. He was ambitious. And he would not listen to anybody because he had made up his mind what to do. And he sought the authority to make it become a reality. And he was being successful at it. The church was scared to death of him. He probably, as I said, was the head of the police force <clears throat> or the security force of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling body of the Jews. Now, with that in mind, we see him as an enemy of the church of Jesus Christ. Did you ever wonder why he hated the church so much? I've often wondered that, and I did some research just out of curiosity. Why was he so full of animosity? Somewhere along the line, other than maybe his size, somewhere along the line, he had been hurt, probably hurt badly. And he carried with it a lot of anger. I remember one of our grandchildren He's a grown man now. He has his, uh, he, he's a college graduate, graduated from Penn State in, in uh, computer engineering, and he has a job with a big outfit in Connecticut over around Boston. And he, he told me not long ago when he was visiting here last Christmas, he said, you know, growing up, I was angry all the time. I remember when he was just a little fella, he was sitting by our pool up, when we lived in Wheelersburg, and Alice Kay had one of her co-workers, big old guy, came walking through the gate around the pool, and Aaron Michael looked up at him, just a little guy, and said, and he didn't say, hi, kiss my foot or anything. He looked at him and said, don't make me mad. And that, that's all he said. And the guy came in and told us what, what he had said. And then as a grown man, he told me, he said, I grew up angry. I suspect... I suspect it had to do with his father ultimately leaving the family. I don't know that. He never told me that. But I'm telling you, it appears, and the, and the people who've studied the Apostle Paul, that he was carrying bitterness. And some people die that way. I buried a fellow a few years, several years ago now, and after the funeral was over, I tried to go to the house two or three days after the funeral and sit and talk with the folks. And his wife told me, he said, you know, he died trying to accomplish one thing that he never accomplished. He died trying to get his mother's approval, and he never had it. And he died, he, she said, he's probably now for the first time in 60 or 70 years at peace. So don't, don't underestimate what you can do, what happens to people when they're young. It's like taking, I was, my psychology teacher said, it's like taking an apple and taking a knife and cutting it and just letting it set. The scar never goes away. We have to be careful how we treat people. The Apostle Paul, anger, and animosity toward the church may very well have been related to something like that because he was shipped away from home to Jerusalem while he was just a young fella. Now, well, let's move on. He, was, he, he actually then took the role of a terrorist. We'd call him that today. And so 
It's this kind of a guy now that has gotten the papers in his hands, approval from the power structure to go to Damascus and arrest men and women to bring back, if possible, to kill them. And here's the way it reads. As he neared Damascus, and Damascus is about 125, 30 miles northeast of Jerusalem, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. This word light is an interesting term here. It's the term that's used of the lightning strike. I don't know whether you've ever been scared out of your boots or something from a lightning strike or not. Alice Kay and I were in Cincinnati for something back a few months ago and it was just and we were coming home and it was raining so hard and I was one-eyed then because I hadn't had this cataract taken off and so in order to see where it was going I got behind another car so I could follow his taillights and stay where he's going. I'm glad he didn't turn off because and then all of a sudden and, you know, I was, I was at a safe distance behind just so I could see the taillights and stay in the lane and be fairly safe. Lightning hit right between the two cars. I jumped like I was shot. I mean, there was a sound that would knock you off your, off your feet. That's the kind of, of thing that happened here with the Apostle Paul and his fellow travelers. That light that we've seen before that always represented the presence of God in the Bible. Whether it was Moses up on the mountain receiving the law and God passed by and hid Moses in the cleft of the rock because he said, if you, if you weren't hidden that way, you couldn't see me and live. Or whether it would be on the Mount of Transfiguration that we talked about earlier where the light was there and, and, and just consume them because there was the, the, Peter, James, and John had said, hey, hey, let us build a tent, a tabernacle for each of you, one for Moses and one for Elijah and one for Jesus. And Moses and Elijah went away and the light of the Lord shone there on Jesus alone. That light indicating the presence of the Lord, whether it was the, it's called the Shekinah, the glory of God. The presence of God was there. Now, knowing his Old Testament like he did, you would have thought he had it all figured out, but he didn't. He was too narrow-minded, too hard-headed. It took something that was absolutely earth-shaking to change his mind. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul... Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul responded, well, who in the heck are you? That's Kentucky talk. Who are you, Lord? And the voice answered, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now you get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now, here's the way God got his attention. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They had been shocked. Probably, and I'm guessing at this, they probably felt something. If you've ever been close to a lightning strike, 
you can actually feel it in your feet. These guys, they, they, they heard the sound, but they didn't see anybody. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. He was blind. We'll see a little later on that his eyes were covered with scales. Now, the word that's used for scales can mean fish scales. It can mean the rind on an orange or a grapefruit. Or it can mean the shell of an egg. All we do know is that there was some kind of one of those things that covered his eyes so that he couldn't see. God had to make him blind before he could see. You know, we call that for many years in the evangelistic business, people under conviction. It's a pretty good term. Because too, the church today is weak because we've had too many people who've been enrolled in the church and not enough who have been converted because there is a difference. The Apostle Paul experienced the latter. So what they did is they led him by the hand because he no longer could do anything. He didn't have a white cane. He hadn't been trained to read Braille. He was helpless. And so they took him by the hand and led him into the city to the house of a guy named Judas. Kind of interesting, isn't it? That if he were replacing Judas, that God took him to the house of a guy named Judas in order to teach him what he needed to know. For three days, he was blind. And he fasted during those three days. Fasting in the Old Testament at times means, is, is a means of repentance. And he sure needed to repent. He was a murderer. And in the, in the city of Damascus, and, and this, there's some interesting stuff here, was a disciple named Ananias. And so the Lord spoke to Ananias in a vision about what had happened on the road to Damascus to Saul of Tarsus. And the Lord said, go to, and, and, and he said, you know, the Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, he said, yes, sir. He said, I want you to go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Now, the reason I found this interesting is doing some research. I found that in Damascus today, even though we can't get there because of a war going on in, in uh, Syria, the straight street is still there. You can actually, if it weren't for the civil war going on there, you could actually go to the... We don't know where Judas' house was, but we know where the street was. He said, and you go to the house of Judas and you ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. Now, understand something. He believed in prayer. Just because he was an, he was an Old Testament bigot, he, he, was, he still believed in the Old Testament teaching of prayer. So here, what do people, what do the worst people in the world happens to them when they're really 
facing death. We call it foxhole religion. There aren't any, they say, they, my uncle used to say there weren't any atheists in foxholes. Well, he was in a foxhole. And he was praying. He said, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard a lot of things about this man and all the harm he has done to the saints in Jerusalem. Underline or circle the word saints. There's something to be learned here. In the Bible, there is never the word saint in singular used. Oh, there will be... Men have added the term St. Paul or St. Peter. and you, Never. Saints is always plural and it always refers to the body of Christ or to God's people. No one is elevated above the other. We have different responsibilities to be sure and different authorities to be sure. But as far as our value, we're all equal. And you need to understand that because some of the traditional churches, every once in a while, they'll elevate somebody to a saint. Well, there ain't no such thing as a saint singular in the Bible. You need to know that. He said... And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all and all who call on the name of Jesus. But the Lord said to Ananias, you go. This man is my chosen instrument. That word instrument is the same word as you would use for a pair of pliers or a hammer or tool. It's a tool, an instrument or a tool. To carry my name before the Gentiles, circle Gentiles. Because the, the Apostle Paul hated, he hated Gentiles, and so did most Jews. Because they, the Jews had a writing, they said, a dog in the street, and, and among the Jews, a dog was the most useless animal. They were, wild dogs were everywhere, and they said, the Gentiles are just a little lower than the dogs, than a street cur. And so, they, so God is saying, look, man, I've picked him out to go evangelize the people he hates. And then he said, he's to go to their kings. And then he's to go to the people of Israel. And then I'll show him how much he must suffer because up until now he has taken great delight in making the people he hated suffer. It's interesting in the Bible God does a lot of reversing. The last shall be first. The first shall be last. This concept of reversal is common in the Bible. So you better take that into consideration in the way you treat people and talk about people. 
Then Ananias had said, went to the house and entered it. This is the house of Judas. And placing his hands on Paul, he said, because he's blind, Brother Saul, I'd have called him that too, because they were scared to death of him, even though he was blind. Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again, number one, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You who were blind to the truth will now be able to see. Now, I'm going to add some things to that from Scripture that I believe to be true. Even though the scales fell off of the Apostle Paul's eyes so that he could see, I don't believe that he was ever able to see normally again. That he could see where he was going, and that's the reason why he was always with a traveling companion. He complained one time about being left alone. Even then he said, one person stayed with me. Immediately, it says, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. Now, it says two things. Number one, his eyes would, sight would be restored. And two, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about the sight thing, then we'll talk about the Holy Spirit thing. The reason that I believe that the Bible teaches, especially from the 12th chapter of the book of 2 Corinthians, if you want to chase this down, you will see that the Apostle Paul struggled with something that he called a thorn in his flesh all of his life. What was that thorn in the flesh that he talks about? I've already told you, he had a problem of ego. He was more successful than anybody else his own age in Judaism. He bragged about it. He had a problem with being conceited. And he admitted it. For when you start reading at chapter 12 in 2 Corinthians verse 7, it says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing great revelations that was given there was given to me a thorn in the flesh he called it a messenger of them from the devil to torment me three times he said i pleaded with the lord to take it from me but the lord said my grace is sufficient for you for my power is shown in your weakness now I remember watching, I've been in church all my life. I was raised in church three times a week. You went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, prayer meeting. And even as teenagers, we would go to Wednesday night prayer meeting because Dad said we could have the car then on Thursday night to go to Lucky Buck night at the tribe in, 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 the, in the great state of Ohio where the sin really was. So he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. The Apostle Paul said he, he never admitted to being 
a great orator, a great preacher like we talk about today. Just the opposite. He said, I didn't come with the powerful speech. But what happened, you see, is when he received his sight, he was then, if you go back and look at the text, it was then that he was baptized. He said, immediately the scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. What happened here? A lot of people dogmatize things in the Bible, and they shouldn't. Some people, you're not saved. I don't care if you've been baptized, sprinkled, or whatever. You're not saved until your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in the Bible, in the Bible, in some cases, you receive the Holy Spirit after baptism. That's Acts 2.38 that's quoted so much. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But there were believers that we recorded here in the book of Acts where it said that they had received the Holy Spirit, but they never heard of baptism. These were Gentiles. They didn't know anything about baptism like the Jews did. And they were, the apostles said, hey, have you, Peter, have you all been baptized? No, we never even heard such a thing. And he said, and so they, they baptized them. So we have, and you see, here's the deal. God is in charge of his kingdom. And if he wants to save somebody before they're baptized or after they're baptized, that's his call, not ours. And we better be careful about hemming God in and saying this is the way he has to do it because he can do anything he chooses, the way he chooses. And our responsibility is to accept it and thank him for it. I was raised with the dogmatic teaching that nobody received the Holy Spirit until they were baptized. And then I started reading the book of Acts, and I got a problem. So he had received the Holy Spirit. He was saved. And then he was commissioned, commissioned to go and preach to Gentiles, people he didn't even like. Folks, when you are baptized and you receive the Holy Spirit, you're commissioned also. You and I are commissioned to do what? To become the light of the world. By that he meant you and I are to take the presence of God to our world. And, and, and what he's saying here. As the Apostle Paul, he said, the Apostle Paul said, and if you do that, you're going to suffer. People are going to make you suffer just like you made them suffer, so you ought to understand it. Now, here's the problem we run into. If we do what we're commissioned to do, we're going to suffer some too. If you don't do anything to avoid suffering, then you're violating what God has commissioned you to do, to represent Him wherever we are. And the Apostle Paul, it, it, his problem started immediately. 
It said Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the guy who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on the name of Jesus? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Christ. And after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. Trouble already. My friend, who's died a few years ago, founded a what is now a large, biggest church in Lexington, Kentucky. I grew up with him. He was older than me, but his name, he, he started the Broadway church there in Lexington, helped him start the Southland Church. They run 10,000 people probably now. Wayne Smith started that church. And he used to say this, and I could identify with it. He said, wherever the apostle Paul went, they had a riot. He said, wherever I go, the old women serve tea. And it's that difference. Because the Bible clearly states that anybody, anybody who stands up for the Lord is going to suffer persecution. And we must be ready to do that. And I've been asked, were you ever persecuted? Yeah, yeah, I've caught some. I've even had a couple of death threats. And uh, I didn't pay much attention to them, but it did happen. Do you remember the thing back at the fairground years ago where all that stink was raised? They, they, the, the fair board was offered $50,000, if I remember right, to allow this bunch to come in and put on their car show or whatever it was. And they brought in a bunch of prostitutes from uh, Dayton. I'm probably telling you more than you want to hear, but I'm telling you anyway. Anyway, we went to the fair board and sat down with them and asked them, Will you please forfeit this and, and get them out of here? Because we already had a video of a teenager taking off their clothes, beautiful young girl. We had what it took. Ultimately, the, the local prosecutor teamed up with us because of that youngsters that were there and, and, uh, and pressed charges. If they ever come back into Scioto County, they'll be arrested and jailed immediately, and they signed off on that if they could get out of town without going to jail, and they let them go. Well, I found out later that, that one of the uh, people who was aggravated about losing the $50,000 had found a prostitute that would testify that she and I had had an affair. And um, so... I went to the fella and said I didn't want his business, but, you know, it would be mine if he pushed it because one of the friends there on the board had come and told me what was going on. And then I got a couple of phone calls with, that were threatening. But you don't pay much attention to that. You still have to do what's right 
and you just live with it. Now, the Apostle Paul then, what happened here that's really kind of exciting that all of us wish would happen to us? Here's this little guy. And they said that his eyes actually bugged out, leaned over. Probably suffered from eye problems till he died because the Lord wanted to remind him, this is your job. And if you remember what your assignment is, and no one carried out their assignment any better than the Apostle Paul did when he'd received the Holy Spirit. And what happened was, you see, he would just teach from the Old Testament how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament, how he was the Messiah, how he is the Son of God. I've seen him. I went up. In fact, he says, 14 years ago, while I was down in Arabia, you see, after he was saved, Filled with Holy Spirit, he went to Arabia for three years. Why three years? Because the other apostles had been with Jesus for three years. So he was showing here how he qualified to be an apostle. He said, and while I was down there, I was taken up into the third heaven and I saw things I can't even, I'm forbidden to tell you. I've seen these, I've had these revelations. I have seen the risen Christ. What was one of the qualifications for being an apostle? Having seen the resurrected Christ. He was showing here everything that it takes to be an apostle because he was accused of not really qualifying as an apostle. Therefore, he wouldn't have the authority of the apostle. People are always offended by someone who's in a position of authority. They're always trying to cut that out from under them. That's just the way sinners operate. But what would happen when he would teach is even though his words were weak, his appearance wasn't impressive. You notice in our day and age, these six-foot-two guys with, with muscles and and. These guns, they call them, you know, they get up and preach and they have great crowds that follow them and so on and so forth. The Apostle Paul didn't qualify for any of those things. He was, he was weak in his presentation, but that presentation was then empowered by the Holy Spirit and it, it raised such a level of, of interest among people that enemies rose up to try to get him out of town and at times actually stoned him and left him for dead in Lystra. His job, take the good news of who Jesus Christ is to the Gentiles, to their kings, and to the children of Israel who will listen. Let me tell you something. The Bible teaches very clearly what we're all to do, and especially those of us who preach and teach the Word of God. Paul wrote this to the young preacher who was to succeed him as the overseer of the church in Ephesus. He put it this way. He said, 
In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as you continue, as you, but for you, continuing what you have learned, have, be, have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Then he said, All Scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching. Now we're comfortable with that. Because a pastor teacher teaches, but he didn't quit there. And when you look at the rest of it, it gets a little testy. For rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness, that's your job. And most of us run from rebuking and correcting even though we know they're dead wrong. Because we want to be loved and liked and respected and want to have a lot of friends. But the Bible says that that's the commission that we have received. And if we learn to carry it out, the way the Apostle Paul carried out his commission, we can expect something really dramatic to happen. First of all, we'll get a lot of opposition. But secondly, if we'll do one other thing, and that's in the book of Galatians too, and it's really, really important, because in our day and age, this too is avoided. But it's here in black and white. And here's what it says about the early church. It says concerning the believers that there wasn't, get this now, there wasn't even the hint of immorality among them. Not even the hint of immorality among them. Now, folks, that's what we've got to take seriously. If we're going to represent Jesus and have, any in, and have anybody to believe what we're saying, we not only have to prove it by the Word of God, but we have to prove it by the life that we live. There shouldn't even be a hint of immorality among us. And it shouldn't be because you're scared to death of somebody. It should be because that's how much you love Jesus. We need to understand that that's how the Apostle Paul... Now, tradition says... Now, whether this is true or not, I don't know. It's a tradition. The tradition says that when the Apostle Paul was saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's when, that's when you're saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, born again, that his wife, a Jewish woman, 
and two boys left him. He, you see, persecuted men, women, and children, and he suffered the loss of his wife and his children. But in spite of that, he remained faithful. I, I don't think I'm there yet. I don't know that I could do that. But the Bible makes it abundantly clear that this easy believism and having a better life and an easier life and so on and so forth is foreign to what the Bible actually teaches. You and I, assuming that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, are commanded by Scripture, by Jesus himself, to take the Shekinah, the glory of God, wherever we go, it can be seen in us. And the goal of our life should be abundantly clear. For me to live is Christ. With the promise to die is gain. That's my sermon. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And how I wish that we as a body of believers could love you so much and take your commission so seriously that we without fear will share who Jesus is with anybody who has ears to hear and a mind to understand. Bless us, O oh God, with the power of your Holy Spirit in the words that we speak and the life that we live. May it honor you. May Jesus be seen in each of us as we go from day to day looking forward to the day when we see you face to face. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You're free to go. Thank you for your time. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.